I've met creators who just constantly have this like positive mindset and that's why they win is because they don't get bogged down and dwell on why something didn't work and trying to figure it out. So the past couple of months is honestly the first time that I've been able to stop comparing myself to others. Don't worry about what other people are doing and what their success is. There's plenty pieces of the pie or whatever for everybody. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is commercial DP and YouTuber, Michael Tobin. Over the years, Michael has made his living as a commercial DP and editor, but recently he's been really focused on YouTube. And in fact, as of the recording of this podcast, just two weeks ago, he had a video that cracked over 300,000 views. Four weeks ago, there's a video with over 200,000 views, and there's several other videos that are crushing it right now on his channel. Now, he hasn't just started his YouTube channel, he has been doing this for several years, but there have been some huge adjustments that he has made to his content that seems to be performing super well on the platform. So if you're somebody like him who's a freelance shooter looking into starting a YouTube channel, this episode is for you. But before we listen to my conversation with Michael Tobin, I want to encourage you guys to go over to PolarPro.com and see some of the incredible filters and camera accessories that we have for sale there. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Michael Tobin. All right, so here we are today with my new good friend, Michael Tobin. Thank you so much for being on the Golden Hour podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So you're a filmmaker, director turned YouTuber. Uh, Very similar to me in a lot of respects. I was also a director in Nashville and uh, we've already hit it off for the last two weeks that we've been friends now. So um, (laughs) it's true corona friends and safely (laughs) distance and it seems like internet friends is the way to go now you came to my rescue we were doing an iphone versus alexa comparison video uh i saw some of your work comparing the iphone to the black magic camera and some other iphone 12 pro max videos that you've done and uh you were just really good at resolve better than myself and so i just hit you up and uh you were willing to help us out and it uh, turns out, you know, a bunch of my friends as well. So I don't know why we haven't met before, but um, but yeah, we're happy to have you on the show. And thanks again for your help on the Indie Mogul video. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a blast. I love any chance to work with other people and especially when it comes to like colorist work and stuff. I've been trying to work on that a bunch. So it was fun. So you're a filmmaker, director, but also a YouTuber. What's the director, you know, freelance world life for you? What? Have you been doing that for a while now? Uh, yes, I basically I've always known I wanted to do filmmaking since about fifth grade or something, but uh, I never knew what capacity or medium. And obviously, none of us knew what YouTube was going to turn into years ago. And so, over the years, probably the past decade or so, I've just been trying everything that sounds fun. And I started actually in still photography. And just because here in Ohio, the whole movie making business isn't exactly exploding. Um, And then probably five or six years ago, I got back into video and been doing freelance stuff ever since, mostly product commercials and everything is something I've always loved, which translates well to being a tech reviewer on YouTube or whatever. (laughs) And Um, yeah, and and actually it wasn't until the past couple of months that I've been slowly transitioning away from doing commercial stuff and focusing on YouTube more full time. 
That's fascinating. I mean, if you look at your reel, which by the way, you posted like two years ago, it's, it's on your website. You should update mm -hmm. that, right? Uh, no, there's some amazing stuff. I have an old reel as well, but the reel that no, you I, have. It should have, be literally from earlier this year. Oh, I'm what's the one I was looking reels. at? I was looking at one on your website. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, there's another reel. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Apparently, I have two reels. I haven't looked at the website in a while. Yeah, I'm not looking for that freelance work. <laughs> but no, you've got the everybody go check out the reel. I'll link it in the uh, show notes of this podcast. It's really awesome. We've done just a variety of of work. Uh, was that Arnold Schwarzenegger in there? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Uh, Tell me about was, that. What was that project? Yeah, uh, so I actually used to work at. Uh, one of the largest car dealerships uh, in the country here, um, Riker. And the family that owns that is actually very good friends with Arnold. And so every year when the Arnold, which is, you know, the big uh, um, what heavyweight competition, whatever that comes to Columbus, um, they usually end up meeting up with him. And so I was working in the marketing department filming and yeah it was like yeah you get to meet with him and it was cool we actually got to facetime with him and so i like technically have his apple id to like facetime him but i'm trying not to like just use that and it was really funny watching um his like assistants like set up the ipad for him and stuff <laughs> You could just yeah. text him uh, like a random photo or something and then <laughs> they like, get blocked. Hey, but remember me. That's totally awesome. Stalkery. But yeah, that, that that was cool. So you've been in the freelance world for a couple of years now, you know, photo, video. But the thing that's interesting and the thing I'm seeing a lot with honestly a lot of us uh, director, filmmaker, freelance people is the transition into YouTube. And that happened for me about three years ago. And you know, you had people like Ryan Connolly, you had people um, putting stuff out ever since uh, Caleb Pike, you know, Kai W, all these kind of old school. Uh, I hate to say that because, you know, they're not that old, but <laughs> yeah. they've been, in terms of YouTube's uh, history, you know, they've been on since the early stages of YouTube. I always saw YouTube as like this secondary thing. It wasn't anything to take seriously. Vimeo was like where it was at. And <laughs> <laughs> and something something happened i think it, at least for me it was when casey neistat started doing the vlogs that it kind of clicked for me that uh filmmakers could be on youtube and he was truly a filmmaker making short films in a vlog format on youtube and it obviously worked really well and then obviously we saw the rise of peter mckinnon and, and several others since then just in the last three to four years our filmmaking niche has continued to kind of expand and grow what was it for you that made you kind of have that moment of like shoot maybe i should be posted on youtube yeah so it's honestly my uh my biggest regret in life so far is you know as with many people is not starting something earlier and i technically uh on this on my main channel i think i really started posting stuff around like 2016 time but uh in reality i actually uploaded a tech review in 2009 and it's on like mm -hmm. some other obscure channel that also has me in show choir in high school dancing around so <laughs> I haven't shared Amazing. that yet that'll be one day um but it i always thought it was really cool the whole like you know the fact that you could just make whatever you want 
um, and then obviously be able to make a living off of that, work with companies to test out new products and things like that. And I was a huge, always been a huge fan of Marquez and MQHD, obviously, like you mentioned, Film Riot from a filmmaking side. And I'm sure you experienced it as well, but it was very interesting the past handful of years having friends who also are into filmmaking. And I always saw everyone split one of two ways because I always say now there's like two types of filmmakers. There's like the, okay, I want to go make movies in Hollywood type of thing. And then there's like, I want to be a content creator. And it is interesting that it is kind of starting to merge a little bit where now if you build an audience, become a content creator, then brands and people who have the ability to make bigger productions and movies Mm -hmm. um, are giving creators more of that opportunity. And so I think that's really powerful. Like you said, Casey Neistat being able to um, create so many narratives and, and yeah, I mean, just nowadays with the technology cameras, we were talking about phones prior to this, like there's really no big hurdles that anyone has to overcome to like, if you have a phone, then you can make videos. And so that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And that's one of the things we were talking about with, you know, the fact that you compared the iPhone 12 Pro Max to the Blackmagic camera, which shoots raw and is like, you know, Super 35, like amazing camera. And then I did one with the Alexa and the Canon cameras. And obviously we're not saying like, you know, throw away the Alexa and buy an iPhone. <laughs> but the the message is, you know, we are able to get these things to match pretty well. And the fact that this is even part of the conversation now, when you just think about how it was 10 years ago, you know, or even five years ago, um, the phone cameras have just continued to get better and better and better with this computational photography. Uh, now we have 10 bit, you know, recording on a phone. Um, it's just pretty amazing. And I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. It's only going to get better and better. Tell me about your journey into the, kind of mobile phone space because you've actually reviewed a lot of different mobile phone cameras on your channel yeah and uh what's funny is i actually so i started doing tech review stuff with just regular phone reviews like everybody else and then i kind of got bored of that because uh i only care about the cameras on phones pretty much <laughs> i don't care about them as as phones much at all and then so i was like okay i want to get more into filmmaking so i started picking up cameras and um I'm pretty much a fanboy of black magic. And so I did a bunch of videos on that. And then I just, this past summer happened to do a, like using, I think the first one was the note 20 ultra uh -huh. as a cinema camera. Cause that one came out with 8k and everyone was like freaking out about that. And I was like, all right, let's see what this all is about. And then the pro mode was actually pretty awesome and people really enjoyed it. And like you said, there's the people who comment saying like, oh, you know, you should still go buy a video camera. You should still do this. And and I always respond to them like, sure. But there are people who, you know, phones have gotten to the $1,000, $2,000 price point. And so yeah. some people need to make the decision. Let's see, I have this budget. Do I want to buy like a video camera or do I want to buy a phone that can do phone things as well as a camera and I can get more out of it? And this is my only budget. And so I like making videos on it because... The difference is that, yes, camera phones have become more capable, but you still need to learn ways um, to make them look as good as they can and to figure out what their limitations are, like what we were talking about before. Like, yep. 
you know, phones are really good in wide angle um, and establishing shots and things like that. And, um, but the sensors are still really small. And so, you know, portrait work, you have to be kind of careful with and get creative and it's fun. Cause it's, you know, it's all about like taking this tool and figuring out <laughs> the best way to use it. No different than any other yeah. camera. Yeah, our mutual friend Armando Fiera actually did a video comparing the new iPhone to the Canon R5, and he got a lot of negative comments on that video because he uh, did some trickery with the iPhone footage. I think he masked the subject and then did like a post blur on the background, yeah. um, and he got chewed out for it because it's like, well, clearly, you know, this isn't fair because, you know, <laughs> but the... I think the message, the moral of that is, and the message of that is like, you can learn how to make these things look better with software and with things like Resolve, which is mind-blowingly uh, cheap. It's free yeah. <laughs> uh, to download DaVinci Resolve and learn how to do color grading, to learn how to do masking and and these types of things. And yes, it's a hack. Yes, it's a cheat. But um, these are things that are techniques and, and things that you could actually start off with a, with an iPhone right now and yeah. learn some of these hacks and get really beautiful looking images. And yeah, and, and I never really understood the whole like, oh, that's cheating. Because to me, cheating is what back, uh, I'm sure you remember a handful of years ago when so many camera manufacturers got caught like in their promo videos, not actually using the camera. They were filming with like some yeah. DSLR or something. Because to me, like that's a cheat if you're saying, oh, this image didn't actually come from an iPhone. But if you're able to take the image from something and manipulate it however any filmmaker would, uh -huh. um, that's totally fair in my eyes because it's, it's yeah. no different than in movies, right? Like one oh, yeah. thing that I always find silly is is the low light conversation because like for vlogging and just general like stuff, yes, we should talk about low light and everything. But in terms of movies, like I'm sure you know, like, any low lit scene isn't actually dark on like <laughs> yeah. Hollywood set. Like it's all yeah. filmed with good light and then you lower it down in post. Cause like Alexa's can't, you know, a Sony a seven S three is better than an Alexa in, in the yeah. dark. So yeah, every, every camera has its limitations, but if you can learn how to manipulate it and mm -hmm. add some fake depth of field, go for it. <laughs> totally uh my wife always gets so angry when we watch a show or something and she's like i can tell they're shooting in the daytime <laughs> like day for night they always do it like high noon and you just like do all these weird exposure saturation manipulation things and uh yeah it's it's kind of obvious <laughs> but I, yeah. I think it goes over people's heads sometimes but um it's pretty easy to to, to point it out but um but yeah, I yeah. think that's the thing is like you want to learn those techniques, right? And uh, I remember back in the old days when I was shooting on a, a DJI Phantom 1 with the GoPro, I would um, de-warp the image because it had like this fisheye look. And uh, then yeah. I also used this plugin that would simulate uh, motion blur and it would add motion blur back into the image because at the time, GoPros didn't even have any option at all to shoot manual uh, shutter speed. So um, that's right. So, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's crazy, like, the simple stuff that you can do. And, like, in most of the phone, cinema camera, whatever videos that I've done, um, I simply show the difference of if you go into an app like Filmic Pro or, or Beast Cam or whatever and do a proper shutter speed and then add an ND filter, mm -hmm. the footage is going to look way better because it's not going to look as over-sharpened and, and all that stuff. And 
Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's not cheating because you're, you are using the real camera. You're just using techniques, filmmaking techniques that we all use for, even for DSLRs and other things. I mean, the truth is, is when we're shooting on a professional camera, if you want to play by this fair game, then we should not grade the footage. <laughs> Just let it be log. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you're cheating. It, I can it, see saturation. It's like the only thing that Casey Neistat has ruined is uh, now it's like considered cheating to do any sort of uh, editing <laughs> or, or post-processing to yes. the footage or something. But what yeah, was it, that? It, yeah, he posted a tweet um, a while back. I I loved it. I, I love the message behind it, but... Uh, it's it's totally his style. That's right. I remember. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I remember seeing that. It was something about like I don't I don't like color grading. I don't like uh, mm-hmm. basically manipulating the image. And yeah, and yeah it, was, it was one of those tweets. That I was like, dude, ab- absolutely, that's your thing and that's your style. Um, but it's kind of like me. Like I feel like every one of my videos is a different color grade, and I'm always yeah. like testing that out. And yeah, I love the, you know, every artist or whatever <laughs> artsy fartsy but every yeah. artist kind of you know speaks to their medium in different totally ways. that's why it's awesome that we all exist yeah. on the platform yeah, i mean look at you know the painting scene right you have people that use pastels people that use uh you know um colored pencils whatever like it's yeah. uh, it's all different right so um there's people who only sketch in black and white you know and that's all they do so um, it's a different thing. And I think in the filmmaking niche that we happen to be in, I've, I find this so fascinating. Like it's such a, it's a smaller niche of people. There's not, you know, millions and millions of people subscribe to all the top channels. We're talking about if you're lucky, a million subscribers, you know, in our, in our niche, uh, often if you have a hundred thousand that, you know, that's like making it in the filmmaking niche, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you compare that to like the food industry and you have these, these food channels have 10 million subscribers, you know, Mr. Beast, which is just this incredible entertainment uh, channel for younger audiences. You know, he's got 40 million subscribers. So um, he might be right in the sense that if you're just making entertainment content on the platform, YouTube, I think the, the genre that is YouTube, the fact that it's anti-production uh, has a lot to do with the success of people like Dobrik, Logan Paul, Mr. Beast, Casey Neistat, these mega channels, PewDiePie even, who is the largest subscriber channel, you know, over 100 million <laughs> subscribers. And the production quality of his videos are terrible. Like he can absolutely afford, he's making, I think, literally, you know, millions of dollars a year doing this. He could absolutely afford a crew to shoot his videos. And he intentionally chooses to shoot at a desk with minimal editing with low production quality and uh, same for mr beast like he's spending a million dollars on on these shoots literally on on the (laughs) giving away the money and whatnot um but you can tell like it's intentionally handheld it's shot to feel more loose even the even the like things that he's doing in the competition where he's got all his friends competing to win money like he's not building this elaborate like survivor set with you know rope swings and fake alligators and like robots it's literally like all right first one to run from this point (laughs) to this point wins fifty thousand dollars and the genius of that is that it's so it feels it's intentionally feeling low produced and it's more relatable 
So I think that's where Casey Neistat is coming from. And that is the genre of YouTube as a whole, but our niche, it's weird. It's like, if you don't have good production value, then I'm not going to listen to what you have to say because clearly you don't know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> so. Yep. It, it It's so true. And, and I used to be one of those people who would be constantly annoyed at the people who would grow super fast. And like, they're like, I don't care about, you know, how good my, like, is the audio decent? Sure. Is the is image kind of bright? Great. Um, <laughs> and then those are the people who usually take off and, you know, we're sitting over here spending 20 hours finding just the right song uh, for this moment to create <laughs> yeah. this emotional impact of a stupid phone fading in or something. Yeah. And, and, uh, but you know, that's what we choose to love to do. And, and to go back to what you said earlier about like the, even the biggest channels in the mogul and, and film riot. And um, it was always crazy to me that like, these are the biggest channels and it took, um, I don't know how long it took Indie Mogul, but I know Film Riot took nearly like what seven years or something to hit a million yeah. uh, subscribers and, Ooh, and all this yeah. stuff. I think Ted hit a million when pretty much a couple months after he started. Um, and so that was 2018. So it started yeah. in 2007. So 11 years. Yeah. And, and uh, so that was always interesting to me. And that's where, like, you know, I think a lot of, some content creators are like, oh, I just do this for fun. Like this is really fun. Like me and uh, uh, Kevin, Kevin, the tech ninja uh, talk about this every once in a while. We're like, he just does this for fun. He loves YouTube. He loves creating and it's a blast. But, you know, he also has like his job and he enjoys that as well. And like mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, I want this to be like career. And so finding some something in our niche that people enjoy that I enjoy making but also still can turn into something that's um, stable has been uh, really interesting, especially the past couple of months um, that I've been trying to crack the code, so to speak. And <laughs> Well, yeah. I think you're cracking it because when you go on your channel and you sort by most popular, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but number one is a video you posted four years ago, DJ Osmo Review, but number two is a video he, you posted a week ago <laughs> $700 Mac Mini M1 versus $9,000 Mac Pro. The third video is something you posted three weeks ago. And then you go down the the fifth one is three months ago. So the fact that your, your top three performing videos of all time on your channel are only from the last month means you're onto something, dude. Way to go. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I got to give a lot of credit to my wife who... Um, went to school to be an actuary and is all about the analytics. And for Heck so yeah. long, I didn't even look at like the deep analytics of YouTube. And I was just like, Oh, that's yeah. how many views I got. Cool. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Past what are some months. of, what are the, some of the things you've learned? I mean, you're, you're clearly onto something here. Your most recent video, you know, you posted a week ago, it's got 340,000 views, dude. The thumbnail's great. The title's great. Um, what are some of the things you've learned that you've been adjusting and changing along the way? Because the truth is, I discovered you because of the iPhone, and I know I'm not the only one that has discovered you. And that's why we, you know, began yeah. our relationship. Have we met before, though? Uh, no, I 
think you know a couple twitter interactions okay. here and there but yeah that's about it. <laughs> okay i'm just making sure i hate it when like oh dude we met at nab we like hang out hung yeah. out and i was like oh crap you don't remember that night like it was, wow, it was great. uh you have a familiar face for sure but um i'm sure yeah i i think your name does sound familiar because because of twitter but anyways what are some of the things you've learned that you know you're saying your wife has helped you with uh with yeah the and so I, i've um uh, there's a couple like YouTube mentors or whatever that I've talked to over the years. And, and one of the things that people always talk about is like, you need to talk about trending topics and that when you're, you know, whether you like it or not, and maybe it's open to debate, but it, I've seen it pretty clear in my experience because it took me four years to hit 10,000, uh, you know, granted not uploading consistently and everything, um, but I hit 10,000 at the beginning of this year from January to about July. It took me, uh, I gained another 2000 and then since, uh, late July, early August, I gained another 13,000. <laughs> um, awesome. and yeah. it was because for a long time I wanted to make things that were unique. And when you're a small creator, and you're making unique stuff, titling things that are, you know, you would consider unique and um, doing thumbnails and everything your own way. The hard part is, is you can make something really, really great. But if no one's searching those terms, or yeah. people don't know to discover you, then I mean, I forget the statistic, but how many hundred of hours of video is being uploaded every single minute to YouTube. <laughs> and so you kind of just get lost in the abyss. And this is where it becomes really easy for creators, myself included, to be like, oh, I'm being shadow banned and YouTube's not promoting me. And, you know, it's really a losing mindset. And you're going to spend a lot of years in deep depression like I did, <laughs> trying to oh, figure out what uh, it was just like, I've, I've met creators who just constantly have this like, um, positive mindset and that's why they win is because they don't get bogged down and dwell on why something didn't work and trying to figure it out and uh, so the past couple of months is honestly the first time that I've been able to stop comparing myself to others that was step number one before I even mm -hmm. figured out SEO or any tactical things like step number one like don't worry about what other people are doing and what their success is there's plenty enough pie pieces of the pie or whatever for everybody. Um, totally. And then once I was able to do that, pretty much the key that I found is to find trending topics, something that is popular. So for me, it was, you know, the latest phones, latest computers, and then find, uh, you know, the, the terms that people are interested in. Again, people really like smartphones and they like smartphone cameras and then find a unique twist on that. And so I'm really passionate about trying to go overboard and how far can I push this camera? And yep. most of the time when people do phone reviews and they talk about the camera, they open the stock camera app and they're like, oh, look, it does, you know, 10 bit and this looks cool and whatever. And they make a, their little Peter McKinnon type uh, cinematic <laughs> sequence. And that's great. And that's awesome. And I love it watching everyone's stuff. Um, but for me, I'm like, I want to talk about why phones don't have enough bit rate. And that's why the details blah and all this stuff. And so uh, I kind of stumbled upon it because I was just ranting in, in that Note 20 Ultra video yeah. But obviously it resonated with people. And then um, once you find something that clicks, 
you kind of just go with that until people stop watching. And so, um, you know, I've done that a little bit over the years and I never paid attention to it where you'll get a spike, you'll do a video. It does really well. And then it's like, okay, well, I don't want to annoy my subscribers with like doing the same topic. So I'm going to go to like the polar opposite and find something. And then you wonder why your next like three or four videos kind of flop. Um, and there is a balance. Like, you know, I never want to make stuff that's clickbaity or just searching for views. I don't want to, uh, people to misunderstand that. Like, like I, when I said before, I want this to be a career. I think the only way you get there and stay, um, in the game long, like, you know, Marquez and a lot of people who anyone would consider to be a very respect, respectful, uh, creator is to have integrity and to only do things that, um, you know, for the sake of creating good content that people want to watch. But yeah, yeah, I think finding trending topics and finding ways to put your own unique spin on it, but it has to start with something that people are searching. And there are outliers. There's plenty of examples. I'm sure you and I could pull out that made one video and they just blew up for, (laughs) you know, whatever reason you can analyze that all you want. But for me, at least this is what's been working. No, you're right. And uh, the problem with the the alternate version of that is that it's the metaphor of putting, you know, gas on a log and just you throw a match on it, it might blow up, but then you don't have the the experience and the and the the time put into it to sustain a career with it. You might be able to have a couple of viral hits here and there. And you see a lot of this on TikTok. You know, I have some friends that are photographers that have gone viral on TikTok. And they don't know how to really use that audience. They don't know how to monetize it. Yeah. Um, so I think th- the long run, and if you have this mindset of the long game, I think that's real important for people who are listening who might want to make this transition as well. This is a long game strategy. And there's no, like people definitely say all the time too, is it too late you know, to get onto YouTube? It's like, no, it's not. Like there's plenty of people retiring as well that, give you a, a, an opening to get in there's also plenty of space here you know to create things are continuing to grow on youtube they're not getting smaller more people are getting on that have never even been on youtube before all over the world so um no there's no shortage of uh you know space uh, on <laughs> exactly. the platform seems like there's always waves of creators and it's awesome that like yeah. someone who's an og creator can still stay on the platform if they want. Some have gone away, moved on to bigger, better things. Um, but yeah, it's you, if you, the moment you think that, you know, you can't start something and succeed and the next day you'll see someone like, Hey, who's this person? Then you'll start to see them popping (laughs) off. And again, that's that mentality of like, well, they just got lucky or they just had this, they had money to start and it's all this excuse game. And I'm big into, um, like talking about that and stuff just because I lived in that ugly world for so long and Mm. it's such a losing mindset. Like there's, like you said, there's enough for everybody to win and uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Well, we all deal with that and it's a good reminder to say that out loud. And, uh, you know, I feel that way too about myself. I mean, the other day, some guy did a Peter McKinnon rap that like went viral and I had that feeling of like, yeah. well, I've, I've done three parody songs and nobody cared, you know? So I had those feelings and I had this idea of doing a camera rap battle for years. So I'm going to reach out to him and see if he wants to do a camera rap battle. But um, 
Like if you get a bunch of get a bunch of Sony shooters and Canon shooters and Panasonic (laughs) shooters and they all battle each other through a rap, I think that'd be so funny. But um anyways, yeah, I mean we all deal with this. I deal with it myself. I talked to Pat Flynn a couple weeks ago and he said that's one of the most dangerous traps as a creator um to get wrapped up in. The only person you really should be competing with is yourself. And as long as each video that you do you're learning you're growing it that doesn't even mean if you get more views than another video it just means that if you're just learning something and growing and changing and uh, you know as soon as you get numb to that and just kind of go through the motions that's when it's all over so um, yeah and i think finding because i i am a type person i am not good at doing things that i don't care about um, that's why I was not a great student at all. Um, and <laughs> Same did here. not go to college or anything. And, uh, and yeah, so it was important to me. And, and I think the only way that anyone who's listening, who does want to do this for a long period of time is you have to find something that yes, works and gets views and helps grow, blah, blah, blah. But you also have to enjoy creating it. Cause if you yes. just find something that like works, but you hate it, Oh, you're going to get burnt out <laughs> so fast. And don't get wrapped up around the money making aspect of two, yeah. uh, as well early on. Um, when I was starting out on Kinetika, it was like two years of posting twice a week before anything like financially kind of happened. And so, um, you know, just remember, you got to kind of give to the audience for a long time before you can start to ask, you know, for the buy my LUT packs and my merch and whatnot. But um <laughs> yeah. if you can again going back to Pat Flynn, my conversation with him, he wrote a book called Super Fans and he talks about it in our conversation. And really all you need is a thousand super fans to sustain a full time career. If you have a thousand people that are willing to pay a hundred dollars a year towards your products, whether it's a uh, a course, you know, or or effects or whatever, things that can add value to people. Um then you can sustain a six-figure business, you know? So um, yeah, you, you really want to garner and and, and uh, foster that. Uh, it's true. And, base. and I think you see, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Cord or Digital, um, but they're another like traditional oh, yeah. filmmaking channel. And um, they, a handful of months ago or something, uh, were too running into issues where like, their main channel, which is what they started out with, was was doing, you know, skits and high-end productions that they came out with like once or twice a month. Um, and those types of channels have kind of gone away, just like Rocket Jump and Freddie W and all them. Like people are watching more 60-second skits on TikTok and not really committing to like these short film um, type setups on YouTube. Yep. And so they kind of developed, they kind of took their... Uh, obviously they're still on YouTube and uploading, but they also created a whole extra website with a new series. And they talked about something that I think you're touching upon, which is so interesting of like, you know, on YouTube, you may need X amount of views and, and uh, watch time and everything to make a certain amount. But if you can find a way to build a, a trusting and engaging audience and you just get a couple hundred of them to become like subscribers to something, then that can equal even more like a much more stable business for you. But um, yeah, and and it is easy to get wrapped up in um, trying to make money or whatever. And so sometimes I just find myself trying to imagine like, you know, even if you have a hundred subscribers, like 
imagine a hundred people who are willing to sit in a room and like watch a projector like of your <laughs> stuff like as a creator that feels awesome and yeah. so sometimes if like a video you know quote unquote flops or only gets a certain amount of views that you may not be happy with like you know again don't dwell on it too much but also yeah. imagine that even if it's 50 views like 50 people in a room watching your thing like that's pretty sweet Heck yeah. And if they comment too, that's a place where you can engage with them and get to know those, those viewers as well. So, yeah, that's where most of my like, yeah, internet friends and everything came from. And yeah, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. So right now you're sitting on these great uh, M1 Mac videos, the iPhone videos, the, the, the phone reviews and stuff. Um, That's a great example of kind of riding that wave. And that's what you talked about earlier. Um, You know, what, what do you see for the future couple of months for you? Like, where are you going to go next? It, you've already talked about the M1 Mac in different aspects. Are you going to continue doing that? Or like, you know, more more phone stuff? I mean, the Filmic Pro app is out now. Uh, you did touch on it in the Blackmagic one, but I'd love to see a full Michael Tobin uh, Filmic Pro <laughs> video um, with the HDR and stuff. So you know where where have you decided to head with this new direction over the next couple of months now that you've seen the results from your channel yeah so it's it's uh interesting i've been thinking about that uh a lot and noted on the uh filmic pro dedicated video but <laughs> um yeah it's the nice thing is that i'm just trying to see what sort of consistency i can bring up to make sure that these past couple months aren't just like uh flukes or anything because you know techtober and everything like tis the season for all new tech and so it's been yeah crazy the amount of new stuff that comes out and so as we get into like january february time where there's not as many new announcements and new products coming out of these new trends that you can ride the wave that's where um i think for me at least i'm going to keep experimenting with things like phones um and doing more comparisons with that, diving in. I'm in talks. Uh, I've gotten now with a couple. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Beast Cam and Beast Grip, but they make yeah. some hardware and some software, and they're working on some really cool things for their app that, um, is, if they can get to work, is just going to be insane, and especially in terms of like bit rate and everything. And oh, awesome. um, so I'm going to be checking that stuff out. And yeah, I'm just. I'm really interested in anything that blends tech and filmmaking together. And so my hope, actually, I had an entire series planned um, that uh, is the opposite of COVID friendly. And so I'm hoping that <laughs> once all this hopefully starts to die down soon-ish, I don't know. Um, I definitely want to step things up by doing more um production shoots with people and yeah. not just being like oh look what this phone can do with me filming random shots outside but like okay let's take this uh phone on a short film and and actually do something and armando has always been a big inspiration for that too because he's he's very good at taking um you know lower end mirrorless cameras and you know getting a whole production crew together and showing people that really the camera is one of the smallest components it's set design it's lighting <laughs> yeah. it's audio it's it's every aspect that actually turns a film into a good film totally
So yeah, like you've said multiple times, you've reviewed a bunch of different phones on your channel. What is the current state of mobile photography and mobile cinematography? What are some of the best cameras out there? I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about the iPhones. I think the iPhone has a lot of great video features, but it technically is not still this, the biggest sensor. It's definitely not the most megapixels. Um, some cameras have other features like the Sony Xperia, for example. I saw you reviewed that camera. I'm really fascinated by that. It's got a dedicated shutter button on it. It's got the phase detect autofocus similar to their Alpha series cameras. Plus it has this amazing like pro app with all sorts of professional settings and things. What's the current state right now of mobile photography and what are some of the kind of heavy hitters, even yeah. excluding the iPhone, of course? Sure. Yeah. I'm, um like you were saying before too, and in, in still photography, phones have come a long way. I mean, now they shoot raw, whether they're Apple Pro Raw or Cinema DNG or anything. And so you can really get a flexible image out of them. For video, we've started to see 10-bit pop up. The Sony Xperia, I tell people all the time, is like that in terms of software is the best um, like camera phone experience I've ever had because they very closely mimicked their alpha series like menu systems and That's is cool. just like the greatest pro app ever. Um, of course, the Samsung Note 20 Ultra, I really love too, um, specifically in pro mode and that's why I find a lot with phones is the stock camera apps and the stock modes are exactly what they're intended for, right? They're intended for the average person to whip them out of their pocket and, and, you know, take a picture or record a quick video. But if you uh, either go into, if they have a pro mode or download something like Filmic Pro, or if you're on Android MC 24 Pro FPS, terrible name, but awesome heck? app. It's an awful um, name. <laughs> yeah, it's and I feel like I say it wrong every time. Yeah, it's like MC Pro 24 FPS or something. And uh that that's a fantastic app because you can go all the way up to 500 um megabits per second bit rate. Um wow. and God. so I did a video on the Google Pixel 4A, which is literally like a three hundred dollar phone. Um, and the stock camera app, the video looks like kind of garbage or at least just kind of meh. Um, but if you use a third-party app like that, you can really kind of push the image a little bit. And so I would say that the hardware on phones is what uh, most of the time gets talked about. And, you know, Apple is very good at their computational photography and, and stuff. But I think there's a long way to go in terms of having phones, specifically iPhones, uh, having more settings for video uh, shooters because I love the look of it but you have no control in the stock camera app um, on a lot of different phones and um, yeah so it, it's it's interesting to play with things and I really recommend if someone has whatever phone they have even if it's a handful of years old to if you don't like the look of your uh, camera or anything like download a third-party app and because it can like completely change the look of it because the Sony Xperia, I was shocked at the difference between the stock camera app and the pro camera app. It literally looked like two completely different um, phones. But yeah, HDR seems to be all the craze nowadays in, in phones. And um, it kind of gets a little subjective because, you know, I feel like with Samsung, I'm not a huge fan of oversaturation and like 
crazy hyper realism that they tend to go, but some mm-hmm. people like that look and it looks amazing if that's your thing. Um, but yeah, I'd really love to see, uh, you know, more log profiles come in. And, and again, I know there's going to be people who comment, uh, saying like, oh, well, if you want all that stuff, just get a real camera. But as we're talking about how things progress, you know, everyone always wants more and why not try to build those mm-hmm. features and, and benefits into uh, the cameras that are always in our pockets as uh, totally. Chase Jarvis and Casey Neistat always like to say. <laughs> yeah, and uh, more frame rates. I mean, Apple has continued to kind of give us more and more. I mean, a couple of years ago, they added in the ability to do 24 uh, 24 frames per second in the actual default camera app and then i think last year they finally gosh finally gave us the little toggle on the top right so you could oh change your frame rate and change your resolution on on the fly rather than going into the settings and changing all that um yeah but yeah like smallest move to uh, <laughs> a little bit better experience but i've talked to the guys at filmic pro at nab last year or yeah, I guess last year, 2019, that because mm. obviously it didn't happen this year, but um, they said they really have to just reverse engineer everything. Like they don't have a direct line to Apple. They're not able to communicate to Apple. So I, I wish Apple, if they're not going to do a dedicated pro camera app, which I don't see Apple doing, but it would be cool if they did, you know, somehow I could see them in, the, in their marketing, like for the pro line of phones, maybe like exactly. if, you, if you have a pro phone, will include this app and you know it it integrates perfectly with final cut like they can make a whole thing out of it where it's like yeah final cut pro and uh the pro and it has pro in the name of the phone well and that's exactly what i talked about in because i did a video on the the regular 12 pro and then obviously the 12 pro max and then a lot of people like the 12 mini and like all this stuff and and i talked about how like it's it's unfortunate that we have to pixel peep in order to justify you know buying the pro max versus the regular pro and stuff and so yeah i a million percent agree with you that there should be if it has pro in the name there needs to be something pro about it more (laughs) so than just a slightly bigger sensor on one of the lenses yeah well i think it was a mistake like probably due to covid and restraints and stuff i feel like like logically it makes sense that the 12 pro and the 12 pro max would have the same cameras in them. And I feel, I feel like this is just my like guess, but (laughs) I feel like uh, they would have wanted to have the one in the pro max in the pro Mm. normal, but maybe just because of COVID it didn't happen. And maybe next year we'll see that again, but it is interesting how like the big phone has historically had better camera. Like it's always had, um, I think it was the only one that had optical image stabilization in the older Max phones or the, you know, the plus phones is what they used to call them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, yeah, the Max one, because optical image stabilization has been in there for a while. And then this year sensor shift mm-hmm. is the, uh, is the new thing in the Pro Max. What's your daily carry right now? Are you rocking the Pro Max? Yep. Yep. Pro Max. Um, and then I'm actually getting ready to do the most requested video, which is the Pro Max versus the Note 20 Ultra I picked nice. up again. And because um, people keep asking me, you know, which one would I go for? And 
it, I did the No 20 Ultra this summer. And so I kind of like, I have like a weird bias in my head because the Pro Max is newer. So I'm like, I think that one, but yeah, um, it, it'll be interesting because yeah, the No 20 Ultra has the Pro Mode and you know, 8K or whatever, but ha- more importantly, has a much bigger sensor. And yeah, um, but I historically love iPhones and love the look, the little bit mm-hmm. less digital look they have to them. So it'll be a fun shootout. Definitely straight out of the default camera app, iPhones have it in a bag. Like when you see the side-by-side comparisons for video, iPhone can like year over year continues to be the leader in stabilization audio quality, which I think is something a lot of people overlook. The microphones on the iPhones are doing some really fancy, uh, you know, computational audio stuff to make it sound really decent. In fact, I have recommended to several people who are like starting out YouTube channels, um, you know, pick up the new iPhone, use that. And then they're like, should I get a microphone? I'm like, yes, definitely pick up like a lav mic for when you're doing like sit down interviews, but don't even worry about using like a road boom mic or something. Cause the built-in mic is actually like totally fine for. Oh long- yeah. If, like if you're within, yeah. Logging distance. And obviously it's rated for being two or three feet way max from you. But yeah. And my 12 pro, 12 pro or 12 pro max video uh it just happened to be like 40 mile an hour winds outside and so i just did like a quick audio test like while being blown over (laughs) the fact that you could still hear me and i didn't know you know post-processing or anything to it is is pretty ridiculous it is crazy i i think you lose a little bit that low end that you would have if you were to use like a boom or something and obviously if you have a boom you could put a dead cat on it so you know, if you want to go all fancy pantsy with it, you can yeah. do that. But if you're going to do that, might as well use a mirrorless camera anyways. Like, you know. Sure. Well, um, and it's like you said, it's all about the situation. Because if you're far away from the source, the camera, then sure, put on a log yeah. or something. But uh, if you're within a couple feet, then uh, especially the iPhone's microphone is is crazy. There's a couple things about phones that need to continue to get better. Number one is like the sensor size. You just brought that up. Do you see that continuing to advance? I mean, as computational photography gets better and better, do you think um, there's kind of a, is there some sort of limit to it? Because obviously they have to keep the phone small. So there's, there is some sort of uh, physical limit to how big the sensor can be, but uh, you know, maybe they'll do some computational depth of field stuff for video. I, I see that being a huge fluke for several years until they figure that out. Cause yeah. even now with LIDAR on the phone, the portrait mode still fails all the time. So <laughs> that's true. Kinda... And, and I, I kind of hope the fad of let's add more cameras and lenses kind of goes away. Like, um, honestly, I would be cool. Like, I mean, this is, I, I skipped the 11, I had the 10s max, Uh, prior so this is my first year with the ultra wide and it is cool to have but it's also a garbage sensor if you're in not optimal (laughs) lighting conditions like even a like it's not super bright in here right now but if i took a picture on that uh ultra wide it's gonna be grainy as all get out and so i would actually be all for if they removed some of the lenses maybe go down to two or i'm totally cool with one and just include a much bigger sensor because if if they can really start to approach that micro four thirds, then mm-hmm. cameras, you know, I mean, they've phones have done a pretty good job at killing the point and shoot market um, altogether. Yeah. And even the very entry level vlogging type cameras, like was it the M fifty 
Canon M50 and like the um, <laughs> yeah. G Panasonic G7, which I had a handful of years ago, was super popular. Like stuff like that. If they can really get into that and then add some software features that give you a little bit more control. Um, and then I was talking to someone about like, I don't know what your thought on this, but you know, GoPro, the latest one, uh, they have like a very small screen on the front. Yeah. Everyone wants to record on the back camera because that's the good one rather than the FaceTime camera. Yeah. But I wonder if they added like a one inch screen on the back <laughs> of a phone so you could like see yourself. I could I never see Apple doing that, but I could see them no. selling. <laughs> I don't think Apple would do anything. It would maybe be open. Like if they, if mm. they had the little three pin magnetic that's thing, right. similar to the iPad pro on the back or something. And then third parties could do something with it with magsafe plus that i don't know it'd be really cool if even now i wonder if it's possible to just plug into the lightning and then have a screen that just snaps onto the magsafe mm, that's right and, yeah just like a battery pack but also with a screen or something yeah i and, mean i mean yeah. how many phones did we see a handful of years ago try to play into that gimmick of attaching better cameras i mean the uh -huh. red hydrogen <laughs> I, I was totally on that hype train of like Red's oh, making too, yeah. a phone. I don't care if the phone is garbage, but that camera is going to be epic. And that was the biggest letdown of the freaking decade. Uh, I was you, so sad. What do you think of the Komodo? Were you thinking of picking one of those up at all? Oh, I would love to. Um, I The the thing... You have so I love... Magics. So. Yeah, I love Blackmagic. B-RAW is amazing. It's such an efficient codec while still being, you know, 12-bit raw. So is um, R3D. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I love about RED is that you can have a setup that is minimal or obviously built up and crazy, and the image you get is amazing. And I very much miss global shutter. Yeah. I had that on my old Blackmagic cinema camera or whatever before the pockets came out. And I absolutely despise rolling shutter. Um, <laughs> There's it a, messes with warp stabilizer and, yep. and all that stuff. There's a motion cadence to it too. Even just when you're shooting handheld, you don't notice it. But when you have a rolling shutter, even if it's well controlled, there still is like minute little warpy artifacts yeah. going on. And when you have that global shutter, it just cancels all that out and it feels so cinematic so you yeah. can get a you can get away with like literally just handheld stuff and even if you're on a gimbal or something and you mess a shot up it doesn't look that terrible yeah it yeah and you've shot on the komodo right yeah we reviewed it for indie yeah, mogul and I um i loved it i mean it played really well on my on my 16 inch macbook pro i have heard by the way that one of the things that does crush the m1 max that i know you've reviewed a lot about is is our 3d it doesn't it doesn't play very well it, on m1 yet uh i did that on my first video because i had one project one music video that i had worked on that with uh ak helium footage uh -huh. and and I mean, that makes my Mac Pro sweat a little bit. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that kind of destroyed the M1s, but I'm sure they'll optimize it soon. Yeah, I think now if you're a YouTube creator and say you've got $3,000 to spend on a camera, I would lean towards, well, I guess 3000 <laughs> isn't enough. The A7S III is like the best one right now, uh, in my opinion, for YouTube creators uh if you want to be more on a budget i think the a7c is like perfect from sony it's got the new color science so it looks way better on the skin you got the flip screen the amazing autofocus 
you know, those are yeah. things that are, are great right now. But uh, if you want to get into freelance filmmaking and stuff, you've got now the C70, the FX6, and the Komodo, all three in this category of like mid-tier cinema cameras. Um, so you really have to just pick pick your poison because all three of them are great. It's uh, true. If you're honestly, I always tell people because I make the mistake too is if whatever you're picking, like whatever the price point is, make sure you know what accessories are yep. needed. <laughs> Red yeah, is going to be more that. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, the Komodo is pretty, like, I think they were very smart for being like, yeah, like, you know, CFast cards, like, whatever. It's not like a super mini mag or something that's ridiculous. Yeah. And they Canon finally batteries. They've finally gone a little bit less proprietary with it. Um, yeah. And the color looks great. And like you said, the global shutter, it's one of a kind, too. And, and, Unfortunately, I think owning a red is is probably going to help you as a freelance shooter as well, um, more so than other cameras potentially. Yeah. But there's definitely truth to that. And I, when I was doing commercial work, I definitely would put like, oh, like can shoot on you know RA red uh, stuff like that. Because yeah, if I put Black Magic in there, and people just think you're like doing witchcraft or something. They have no idea what <laughs> what that brand is. Um, totally. So yeah, there's um, definitely truth to what brand you shoot on being hired for gigs, whether it's justified or not. For the M1 Max, uh, you posted a video recently. The, the actually your number two performer is comparing it to the Mac Pro. You own both, is that true? You have the Mac Pro as well. Uh, yes, that's my yeah. The M1 wow. machines I've just kind of been picking up to review. Uh, I literally just this morning posted the MacBook Pro. Uh -huh. uh, video versus my Mac Pro, but yes, this summer I I picked up the the Mac Pro. I mean, what are your what are the cliff notes of that? Because you're talking about a what like a ten thousand dollar setup versus a seven hundred dollar <laughs> setup. So yeah, it's uh, I, there's plenty of comments saying that my face looks like it was real sad and filled with regret. Um, the M1 machines are optimized like crazy, and they're amazing. But as I say in the videos, there's something that I've noticed that I've tried to uh, that I've been calling the single clip fallacy of tech reviews where people will drop in a couple clips and be like, wow, look, it played like I downloaded Ursa Mini Pro 12K footage and it played back on the you know $700 Mac Mini, the base model with eight gigs. And so people will film their reviews and be like, look, it, this, the Mac Mini can handle 12K footage. But you and I know there's a huge difference between like, oh, it can play this clip and, oh, it can handle this Final Cut, Premiere, Resolve, whatever project that is X amount of minutes long, has dozens of layers of audio and video, <laughs> heavy color grade, noise reduction, and do that every day, multiple times a day for many years as you work. And so that's why I try to get the point across that, like, these M1 machines are amazing and I can only imagine what the pro versions are going to look like next year. Um, but there is absolutely still a market for things like the Mac Pro and why pros will go that route or uh, custom PCs or the 16-inch Pro or yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think really uh, um, what you want to say is kind of like, just wait. You know, these are, <laughs> I, it's so amazing how these machines are so good, but th like these are the consumer yeah line like the macbook air the mac mini and the even the macbook pro really shouldn't be called the pro it's kind of like a little bit better than an air yeah um, it's, it's you're basically paying for like the touch bar and and stuff like a that fan. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, just wait for the the 16 inch version and the the Mac Pro version and the iMac version. I mean, these are going to be workhorses. So when you get the Mac, when you get the Mac Pro version <laughs> and you put it next to your old Mac Pro, that's when you have a moment to cry because that's oh, when yeah. it's like. I think some of the rumors have already started to kind of come out about this M1X that will be in yep. a 16 inch and how, if you thought the perform, like right now the M1s are basically matching and slightly exceeding the, the 16 inch in certain app applications, the new 16 inch MacBook pro is going to like, it's going to run the floor destroy and destroy the, yeah, destroy the old one. So I, I can't recommend enough. Uh, if you watch cold fusion or at all, yes, cold fusion I did love him. Yeah. a video on, uh, the M1 chips, I think on uh, November 23rd, he did a couple of videos, but November 23rd, he uploaded one and it like blew my mind because I wanted to understand why there is a huge difference between these M1 chips and the ARM processors compared to like Intel. And yeah. after watching that like 20 some minute video, it's like, oh, this all makes sense. And <laughs> they're just more simplified. And Intel has been like screwing us year over year. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, the next year stuff, like anyone who's just getting started on YouTube or dabbles in it or a little bit of content creation, the current M1s are awesome. And if you're the type of person that replaces your computer every year or two, like, yeah, sure, you can pick one up. But if you want a true workhorse that can handle heavy, complex projects, then yeah, definitely wait. Here I am uh, about to box this machine up that I'm talking to you on because I sold it the 16 inch <laughs> to, oh, buy, nice. <laughs> to buy an M1 Mac, but uh, to carry me over until the other 16 yes. inch comes out. But, See, exactly. Uh, It'll definitely hold you over. It's they're crazy <laughs> impressive machines. Well, that's the thing that that did it for me was uh, I'm at I sit at a desk pretty much every day. I'm either sitting at my desk here at home when we're working from home or Indie Mogul. So I all I need is like a dock to help me with the fact that it only has two ports. Um, and the fact that the 13 inch pro outperforms my 16 inch, that was it. I was like, all right, I'm going to sell my 16 yeah. inch for 2,500 and then buy a, <laughs> a 13 inch for like 1200 or whatever. Yeah. And then it's crazy. Hold on to that thousand bucks, sell it in six months when the 16 inch <laughs> comes out. Uh, the life of a YouTuber is stupid. Cause like we are not, uh, doing what normal people do in terms of purchase decisions mm -hmm. um how has that been for you i mean it sounds like i mean you have the mac mini but you also just did a macbook pro review so that means you're buying crap all the time uh these phones yeah, so as well like what's the deal with your wife has she been freaking out or do you guys have an understanding of like some liquid cash that you spend on the channel no so it's not the best uh <laughs> but it's like, hey babe i bought another phone today uh <laughs> Well, no, she, uh, we have a good setup where, and, and this kind of goes into a little bit of a, a hack that I know a lot of people don't super enjoy, but basically we uh, set aside some funds that I basically just buy, do videos on, and then if I'm not keeping it, uh, we'll return it or sell it. Yeah. And because again, I need to stay on the latest trends and everything. And so that's how it's possible. And so like my Mac Pro, that's my main computer, iPhones, that's mine um and stuff like that and the mini and the macbook pro and stuff have just kind of been like test machines and everything that um kind of just play around yeah. for a couple weeks I mean, it, it, 
here's a secret guys every uh every holiday season apple extends their uh return to january 16th it is very if you true. buy after november something so yeah we at indie mogul bought the the 12 pro max for a review and uh i'm gonna buy the the m1 mac i'll probably keep that one but uh technically we can to play hold on to it until january yeah yeah and it's a good test time and amazon is fantastic for they don't give a crap what you return for what reason or anything <laughs> uh, i will say anyone out there best buy if you were I, a number of years ago when i was trying to get started they uh, do have a limit and they do keep track of that because i did go to return like an hp computer after doing a video and they're like hey just so you know uh you've returned a lot of stuff so after this you can't return anything for like 90 days and so <laughs> don't uh box stores i don't recommend as much but um yeah but and, can, and obviously can... the hopes i'm trying to get in contact with these companies so yeah. that i'm not like wasting product because again i know it's not it's somewhat frowned upon but you gotta do what you gotta do to make things well, work for a bit <laughs> Well, let me just tell you from my experience with Kino, like once we hit like 50,000 subs, we did start getting stuff sent to us. But with that comes this underlying bias that like is hard to balance as a reviewer. And obviously you're supposed to be as unbiased as possible. And I did my best. But when you start receiving products from the company and you become friends with the PR people, then it kind of gets a little muddy because like now you're actually you know in bed with with the company <laughs> yeah so yeah. um uh, my our friend uh you know caleb pike from dslr video shooter he very much has this pretty much straightforward uh rule where he buys pretty much everything he reviews if he doesn't then he at least is upfront about that i think for example he uh, panasonic sent him the new s5 and i remember on his review he said panasonic sent this to me they told me i could keep it but i'm not i'm actually going to send it back once this review is over and I was like, oh, shoot, they gave it to us and we're keeping it. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, damn, I for... keep it, you send it my way. <laughs> but like he and then uh, Gerald Undone has done, has done a really good job recently, too, of like being very upfront at the beginning, you know, whether or not a company sent it to him. I think if you work with companies like B&H, Adorama, Lens Rentals, companies that have no affiliation with the company in terms of like, uh, you know they don't uh, they could care bias less or whatever yeah because they yeah. sell all the brands so like we had to deal with b h where they they gave us like a three thousand dollar a month limit to for loaner products and mm-hmm. so we would just kind of max that out each month and we would you know keep it for 30 days uh and then return it and that was that was a good um relationship because b h is great everybody loves b h um, the only thing they asked for us was to to include the affiliate links to B&H uh, and not Amazon, which was kind of sure. like, seriously, come on, I, you know, huh. <laughs> people are just going to watch this video, go to Amazon and search for it. Like, sure. although B&H is a better place to buy uh, expensive camera gear for sure. But anyways, do agree um, with that. Yeah. stuff like that, like those are good companies to work with uh, rather than apple themselves yeah. you know but apple no, rarely works with youtubers it's it's very it's not common for apple to get involved it would be camera companies or samsung for example google is very often sending out pixels um so i know google on the biggest google if you're listening at all that i'm most butthurt about them because they are so amazing at sending to all size of creators yeah and they won't call me back overall like what has been your 
takeaway from now transitioning into YouTube versus what it was like being a freelancer? Because I think there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are freelance creators that might not want to do YouTube because they see themselves as more of a behind the camera person, not so much this performer, you know, on camera. Um, I definitely love performing. I used to be a magician. And so when I found YouTube, it was like this perfect moment for me to blend the you know freelance filmmaking experience i had over the last decade and then the six years of professional magician stuff um so for me as a performer i love performing but caleb pike has told me you know i'm not a performer you know marquez not so much either but they're they're sort of they still are performing on camera it's a a learned skill to to be on camera what do you have to say for people who are like i don't know you know i don't want to be a youtuber i look down on youtubers youtubers are cringy Sure. Um, I I totally get, like I said, I have plenty of friends who say that stuff all time and want to go the traditional Hollywood route. Um, but, and, and I personally hated being in front of the camera. Like I said, if one day, if I ever share that video of my first review from like 2009, which I made me stop doing it, I like whisper at the camera. Cause uh, I used to have to tell my now wife to like leave the apartment. Cause I was too scared <laughs> to like, record and say things into uh and i have such a monotone and bland voice i've worked very hard and still have a long way to go over the years of being less uh boring but hey i'm getting comments now of being like you sound so calming i'm like all right i'll take i'll take calming it's well it seems like you've seems like you've gotten over the issue with your wife because i can see her feeding your child in the back there (laughs) that's right zoom call yeah I, i can now now there's no choice now it's just record when you can but the the thing I'll say to filmmakers and stuff who are contemplating it is the beautiful thing about YouTube is that you are, as much as any creator could be in control, you are in control of what you make. And um, in terms of stability, while you have to work way harder up front, it's not like getting hired for a job, then you get paid a decent amount for it. Um, you have to kind of put in the grind and some people will go faster. Some people will go slower. But as my wife again taught me exponential growth, the more you do, the more you upload, the better it will be and the more stable things will come. And once you have that audience, then you can start doing the things that you want. If you still love short films and you don't want to do cringy YouTube type esque vlogs or videos, you can do that. You just have to build the audience first And then now you don't have to wait for some client or some sponsor or whatever to, to um, hire you for a job to do it first. And that's a really freeing experience in this whole COVID thing. I had a lot of filmmaker friends. I'm sure you did as well who were like, crap, no one's doing productions anymore. Now, like, what are we going to do? And they had to figure out how to, um, you know, make an income and still live and pay the bills and everything. And, and if you can build a platform on here, it, it can be really rewarding, both creatively and and financially. You don't need to be, um, not everyone needs to be Casey Neistat and Marquez making millions and millions of dollars. There's plenty of creators who are just making an honest living, doing what they love to do, getting to stay home. And, you know, I love being able to spend time with my family all day um, and creating what I love to create. So you don't have to be a cringy YouTuber. You can be the speaker <laughs> you want to be. Um, it's just on a different platform. Absolutely. I can't agree more. I mean, that was kind of what I've 
been trying to tell all my friends back home in Nashville that are still doing freelance. It's like, look, I'm actually in control of what I'm doing. I have, for the first time in my life, I see a path of growth. Like as a freelancer, it's, it's hard to see the future because it's kind of just reliant on the next call or the next job. And you can slowly charge more, you know, you meet certain clients that are at a certain level and then you start working with them and they introduce you to other people. So maybe over a 30, 40 year uh, lifespan in the filmmaking freelance world, you can begin to grow. But as a YouTuber and as things start happening, it is the snowball effect. Um, And as long as you stay consistent and just put in the work, it's pretty freeing how amazing it is and yet it's also like you're in shackles because i'm staying up all night doing edits at the last minute pretty much every day so (laughs) it's definitely not as easy as people think it is and yeah i mean i literally stayed up all night editing um this recent video and stuff so but one of my favorite quotes and i have no idea who said it or where it came from but like um entrepreneurials and i kind of put creators in that bubble as well are the only people willing to work 100 hours a week to avoid working 40 <laughs> that's so good i think that's the perfect way to end it thank you so yeah. much michael for being Thanks on for having everybody. me yeah everybody go check out michael tobin i love seeing your kid right now by the way our listeners <laughs> you can't hear it but uh in the zoom call uh oh, you're yeah. holding, your, holding your baby in your lap at the end here so it's great family man a real family man michael tobin <laughs> thank you so much for having me man it's it's been an awesome past couple of weeks uh working together on stuff and uh yeah to continue oh heck yeah this isn't the last time we're we're buddies now <laughs> it's official you're my friend yeah. we're friends Yay. friends i love it <laughs> thanks a lot michael everybody go check him out on youtube put a link in the show notes and uh yeah thanks again man for being on I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Michael Tobin. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next week.